MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 5th, 2020. Today, New York Times staffers revolt over the publication of a Tom Cotton op-ed. The U.S. is added to the list of most dangerous countries for journalists for the first time. Rod Rosenstein answers questions before the Senate Judiciary Committee as Senate Republicans on the judiciary launch an investigation into Joe Biden. Rand Paul holds up the anti-lynching bill in the Senate and millions unite across the country to celebrate the life of George Floyd. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I just got back from Fullerton with my sister, and um, that was that was really nice. We had a lot of really good long talks, and yeah, I'm doing good personally, relatively. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm gearing up for the uh, live stream Q and A happy hour, um, which is today. If you're if you're not a patron and you didn't get this episode early, because uh, we're recording right now, it's 3.04 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, but this usually airs the next day. And uh, Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to be going live with our live stream, and we'll open it up to the public at 5 p.m. So look for that in a tweet from both the at Daily Beans pod and at Muller She Wrote accounts. So you can find the link to that if you want to jump in and ask us questions. Um, today, uh, we're going to be talking with former FBI Special Agent Asha Rangappa about um, some of the things that are going on with, you know, I've seen unmarked police cars, but not unmarked police. And there's a lot of them hanging around the Capitol mm-hmm. right now. Um, uh, and that's frightening. Specifically, uh, I, apparently, the, the, the guys who were guarding the Lincoln Memorial, I thought people were going to, like, steal the Lincoln statue. It's like nine million pounds. Um uh, so they were guarding that, uh, and they from the Bureau of Prisons, which is weird. Um, I guess I don't know. Trump should get used to being guarded by people from the Bureau of Prisons, <laughs> but that's a story for another time. Maybe he's just prepping uh, for what his life's going to be like in twenty twenty one. I got some random insight into that from a friend who's like his parents were in the police force uh, before they passed away and he's kind of like very embedded in the culture still um and he i was talking to him and he said that they source like all around the country department source from bureau of prisons and they basically send in like when they send in general backup basically a lot of the times it's like an amalgamation of of people that bureau of prisons include so in the actual prisons we have substitute guards like teachers who fall asleep and then you know who are trying to guard uh epstein for example and uh falsify logs and uh all that kind of uh you know fun stuff and and now uh, but you know we have actual federal bureau of prisons cops out with the park police and a, and a host of other different federal cops just out in force refusing to tell people who they're with so that's fascinating um, but we'll talk with Asha about that and what she has, you know, see what she has to say about it. Uh, but that's pretty much what's going on today. Um, it's, it's a nice long interview too. Uh, so we're, I'm looking forward to, to you guys hearing that. 
Uh, and Jordan, you're gearing up to go downtown tonight, right? Yeah, there's an action that's starting at 5 p.m., which is pointless for me to say that because no one's going to be able to make it. But um, but yeah, it's starting in downtown and then marching up to North Park, which is where you and I are, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, this is like just going to be... Um, another another peaceful protest organized by a youth black group and i want to actually double check the flyer so i can give adequate okay black led march justice and police reform and it is yeah starting at 1401 broadway so like right in the heart of san diego's downtown yeah that's right by the hall of justice so Mm -hmm. marching all the way up Mm-hmm. that's a good long time that's a good ways that's a that's four or five miles it is yeah and there was this group that was promoted by the blm san diego chapter to essentially a person in a white person decided to get white people together on wednesday nights at six thirty on zoom to all talk and brainstorm about how to best be allies and accomplices and and just essentially it's like a strategizing meeting for how white folks can support non-white folks, specifically black folks right now. And it was a really great meeting. The first one was last night. One of the things we talked about is when you go to a protest as a white person, you should really check in with yourself before you go about what you're willing to do and what roles you're willing to play. You should, if you're comfortable, kind of hang out towards the front if any police action is starting because a lot of the times leaders will call out allies to the front at which point you know all the white people essentially go in between the black folks and the cops essentially so that that's like I keep saying essentially for no reason so that's that's one of the biggest things that white people can do to help is to physically have a barrier between cops and black folks and then another thing is bringing supplies if you're not trying to do that and you're not trying to get arrested and you're not trying to get maced or tear gassed or hit or whatever bring water bring like like you said it's a four to five mile march bring shit there's always people just walking through the crowd and like giving people stuff and it's super cool masks hand sanitizer like all this stuff you know so there's there's a lot of different stuff that you can do to support if you're physically gonna go to the protests other than you know oh i'm just marching what, what can i do other than march there's there's some stuff that you can do too yeah and you can bring first aid um yeah i think that that's that can be really helpful as well and um that's that's really great that that they're organizing and 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 trying to figure out a way to be the best allies they can Mm -hmm. yeah it was really cool and it wasn't like a super shamey space it wasn't a lot of like you know sometimes it can get a little bit like super we need to police each other for sure Sometimes they can get a bit antagonistic, I think, and it can kind of cause people, because of this concept of white fragility, you know, to, like, dip out. And it's, I definitely think it's more effective when white people are talking to each other to come at each other with with an understanding that everybody's coming at this at different levels and different amounts of, you know, knowledge and awareness and understanding. And, and that was really respected in this group, which was really cool. Like, a, a white guy came on and talked and he was like, hey, you know... I'm here and and he said some stuff some of it was like kind of problematic or whatever but everybody was just like thanks for coming man fuck yeah and everyone was super positive and it was really cool because it was like yeah it was just it's very very a very productive space so I hope if you're interested in that there's something like that in your local area 
or if you don't, you can always hit me up and I can ask if it's cool if people join that aren't in San Diego. It kind of becomes a matter of like breaking the Zoom platform if it gets too big, <laughs> but um right yeah well awesome yeah i'd be interested in um if yeah if, so yeah if anyone's interested in 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 that just let us know mm-hmm. um we do have some updates and some headlines to go over um and we have a lot of news to get to so let's hit the hot notes hot notes all right, Jordan, what do you have for us today? What are the updates? Uh, yeah, so there's a, a ton of updates that are coming out. Obviously, I'm just going to pick a few of them. The first one comes out of North Carolina in Asheville. So there was an incident that happened where police, like you were saying before, protesters are setting up medical stations for people that are getting hit with rubber bullets. These things can truly, like, really, really, really damage and hurt somebody. I've seen... They can kill you. They can kill you. Yeah, it's it's like... It's no joke. It can easily blind you, easily blind mm-hmm. you, easily make you go deaf in one ear. Like, they're no joke. There's that. There's a tear gas, you know. So people are going and taking it upon themselves to set up these medic tents. Somebody had set, uh, a group of people have set set up a medical tent, and apparently it was technically on private property. And the representative for the group, one of them, said that they had tried to get the permission of the businesses that were in the adjacent alleyway, but they weren't aware that they hadn't asked the person that they were specifically, you know, hanging out in front of, basically. And so the police uh, came into their tent and area, and it's filled with a bunch of water and a bunch of supplies and a bunch of, like, tear gas solution. Like I said, that's really important. And they punctured, like, the liquid bottles and just destroyed everything and the person said it was over like seven hundred dollars worth of supplies and completely just like ransacked their medical tent basically and this was on twitter i don't even understand the point i know like if if you're if you're trying to get people to move out of the way let's say you're blocking an alleyway or you're blocking a business why not just be like hey you're blocking this alleyway uh, 20 feet out that way is a spot you can set up or just get your shit put it in the truck and go home or like why do you have to destroy it all right why do you have to destroy it all and it's like you couldn't have even confiscating it would have been fucked up but they couldn't have even just confiscated it there's literally videos of the police stabbing the water bottles and stomping on the supplies <sighs> it's the most like dramatic extra fucking aggressive shit and the department's police chief, um, David Zack, he said that uh, he was sorry. He apologized for not being able to confiscate this, these supplies as opposed to completely demolishing them. Well, why don't you just leave them the fuck alone? Right. Well, they're saying it's because the medical station was created on private property without permission from the owner. And they also said that the police... Ugh, they. Tr- yeah. He said that the police gave the group multiple warnings. Are these businesses even open? I, like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And the the other thing that's sad too is I don't put it past a business owner that's not down for the cause to be kind of, you know, an asshole and be like, get that shit off. Maybe, maybe that even happened. But like, let's say even that was the case. You don't fucking stab all the water bottles and stomp out the supplies when you're facing, yeah, when police are facing such a pr it's more than pr pr is just part of it obviously but it's like everybody's looking at police to 
be better. So when they do this, mm-hmm. it is directly contributing to not getting better. Yep. Really fucking dumb. Um, the Asheville mayor said the destroying of a protester's medical station in Asheville earlier this week was wrong. It was senseless. It only served to reinforce the feelings of mistrust, hurt, and anger. So that's story number one. Uh, story number two. Bill de Blasio, New York City mayor, he went on stage today addressing a crowd that was gathered in front of Brooklyn's Cadman Plaza in front of the World War II monument ahead of a memorial rally for George Floyd, and he was just booed and everybody turned their backs to him. Essentially, that's the headline. He's just completely shamed, and they were chanting, de Blasio, go home. They chanted, fuck your curfew. Um, he he said He said this about his police. Um... He said, NYPD are doing something very difficult at this moment and showing a lot of restraint and trying to shepherd us through this moment to a better and more peaceful moment. Yeah, de Blasio needs to, I think he needs to resign. I don't, I, a lot of people would disagree with me on that, but he is just handling this so poorly. And even the people that took the stage after him were completely shitting on him. It wasn't just the protesters. Uh, New York City public advocate Jumaine D. Williams called the mayor... Uh, and the governor inept over their handling of COVID-19, asking why they had been absent over various problems affecting the black community, like education and public housing. Williams said, this is supposed to be the progressive beacon of this country, and we are failing. We have the wrong president, we have the wrong governor, and we have the wrong mayor. Now, I know that sentiment is a departure from all of our Cuomo loving, but when you're looking at this from the perspective of black people they they did fail them they continue to fail them in so many different areas yeah and you and i when we were playing cuomo clips we were talking about his handling of of covid right just in general uh uh, not not this yes yeah in in general but even still the black community is like you did not do enough in response to covid19 as it relates to the black community and that's that's a criticism that they're entirely just in having not my place to say either way but i I think they're entirely just in having that because obviously you know it's like historically black people are never their needs are never met as a group really and COVID 19 was no different Mm so yeah bill de blasio is just fucking super super hated at the moment it's going to be interesting to see what his political future looks like after this uh my next story is coming out of um, Chicago. So Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, said on Thursday that their civilian office of police accountability has received 258 complaints since Friday related to protests. All of them have to do with stuff like use of force, denial of the right to counsel, failure to activate police-worn body cameras, and concealing police name tags. Going back to what you were talking about, HG, these unmarked police officers um lightfoot said to the community we hear you we are listening to you and take your complaint seriously and will investigate uh she also asked chicagoans to report and file their complaints to three three one one i was gonna say 311 but uh that is a horrible (laughs) band um file their complaints to 311 if they've gone through anything and super their superintendent chicago police superintendent david brown said that 
All complaints of any misconduct will be thoroughly investigated and officers will be held accountable. Which is some shit that they always fucking say and I'm positive that they're not doing it. And it's kind of like, I can just imagine what it's like to be a member of that community there hearing the same shit over and over again with really seeing no change. So I just can only hope that they're actually going to fall through on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And finally... I didn't know if, AG, you were going to cover this, but it's just the, like, update on the officers that were in court today. No, you, you go for it. Okay, so the three former Minneapolis police officers that were charged with aiding the killing of George Floyd, they appeared in court for the first time today on Thursday. After the hearing, um, Hennepin County District Judge Paul R. Scogin set the bail at $750 a piece with conditions or $1 million without conditions for officers Thomas Lane, uh, Tu Tao? Is that how you say his name? T O U T H A O? I don't know. I'm very inept when it comes to pronouncing names of other races, <laughs> and I'm sorry, and I need to be better. Please correct me. And J. Alexander Kung, K-U-E-N-J, please correct me. Uh, conditions of their bail apparently include an extradition waiver and also surrendering their surrendering their firearms and con- and their concealed carry permits. And so all these officers were around when Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd. And they were all fired from the police department, but obviously that's not enough. And people are demanding that the level of prosecution they're facing continue to be escalated until it is at what is considered a just level, which is a murder charge. Um, But basically what happened when Floyd was handcuffed and on the ground, uh, Officer, I'm going to say Kung, Kang, Officer Kang held... Uh, held Mr. Floyd's back, this is a direct quote, and Officer Lane held his legs. Officer Chauvin placed his left knee in the area of Mr. Floyd's head and neck. So they were entirely involved in this murder, completely. I don't see how you can separate them from the act at all. AG, you were saying off-air that they were trying to say that that Chauvin was a veteran officer and they were new and they were just following his orders, but I hope and I don't think that that's going to be enough to just absolve themselves of their guilt yeah and i i i wasn't saying that though that's no, what no, the you're just reporting defenses it. yeah yeah you were reporting it yeah 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 their defenses they've been on the force for a year and one for a year and a half kung i think and and then they said um that you know hey we're new we were just following this 20-year police force veterans lead Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, if you're going to go with the defense, I mean, I guess that would be the one I would go with, but it's, no, respons- officers are responsible for their own actions. If you aren't ready to be a cop after a year in being on the force, then you have a, you're, the way that you vet cops is not working. Right, <laughs> exactly. If you're not able to respond to somebody that's been called on because they may have been given a counterfeit $20 bill, then... And you can't do it without yeah. aiding a murder, then you're probably yeah. not meant to be on the force. Not just not meant to be on the force, too, right? Like, if you're a person and you see somebody with somebody's knee on their neck for nine minutes, at three minutes after they stopped breathing, you're you're not you're not a fit human person. Like, who who 
who lets that continue? I just don't understand. I don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, yeah, um, ab- absolutely. The what I said was kind of yeah, intentionally reductive, but you're absolutely right. These people are 1000% as guilty for not getting him to stop. It doesn't at that point it doesn't matter what badge you have on. It doesn't matter who you are. The fact that you're a human and you sat there and let that happen and you didn't do anything. Yeah, and we hear it a million times. Evil men are evil, but worse is is good men who do nothing. Yeah. And their sentences, uh, they include... So right now, they're, they've been charged with felony aiding and abetting. And uh, the crimes that they aided and abetted were Chauvin's charges of second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. And for the three officers, their potential sentences include a 40-year maximum prison term for second-degree murder... Uh, that it's the same for for each of them. So we'll get more details, obviously, as that story continues through the courts. Yeah, yeah, their sentences would be this this their the sentencing guidelines are the same for the three officers as they are for Chauvin. Doesn't mean they'll get the same sentences, but you know. Wait, is that what that means? I didn't under okay, I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're uh, aiding and abetting second degree murder, it's the same sentencing guidelines as second degree murder. Thank you for clearing that up. I did not understand that's what I was saying. I thought it was just saying it was the same for those three. So for all four of them, how the mm-hmm. fu- Okay. I mean, I agree that they're all guilty of murder, but it does- That does seem interesting to me. I guess- I mean, it kind of- Why not- What's the point of not just giving them the same charge then? If you're, if it's going to be the same sentencing guidelines. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, well, because different things you have to prove- um, right. But under the law in Minnesota and in most places, if you drive the getaway car or you rob the bank, you are going to jail for the same amount of time. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up for me. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I was cleared up for me by who cleared up for me? Ellie Honig the other day. Ah, nice. That guy mm-hmm. is the best. I'm all acting like, oh, yeah, I've known this for years, Jordan. Don't you realize? Dude, <laughs> isn't that anybody that ever imparts any amount of knowledge? They weren't born with that <laughs> shit in their brain. <laughs> oh, well, I've known it for 12 years and you've only known it for nine. So, mm, yeah, no. Exactly. I, I, I just learned it this week as well. So Totally. Well, I, I appreciate you passing it on. Yeah, no problem. I do what I can. Yes. Uh, but yeah, those are those are some of the stories that I have for today. Thank you for that. Uh, and everybody, I encourage you to go and, and watch uh, Reverend Al Sharpton's speech and the Floyd's family's speech uh, at the memorial today. Um, just absolutely. Uh, it just I, I go watch it. <laughs> take take some time. Um, the extremely powerful um, nine minute moment of silence. As well. So. Everybody check that out. All right. Thank you for those updates, Jordan. Uh, Everybody, we're going to be right back with news from under the radar. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. 
in these COVID times, it is important that we focus on our nutrition and our health and keeping our immune system strong. That's why I want to share my ritual that I have been taking for over a year now. It's an obsessively researched vitamin for women called Ritual. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us do not get enough of from food. We have a lot of gaps in our diet. I know I do. I fast intermittently and I eat paleo. But now we have, uh, now I can fill those gaps in with uh, all these vitamins, all their clean absorbable forms. There's no shady additives or ingredients that can do uh, more harm to your body than good. There's just two easy to take capsules that provide nine nutrients that you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Uh, Like I said, I've started taking Ritual over a year ago. I feel more energy and clarity. And mentally, I just feel good knowing that I'm getting all the vitamins that I need. So Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin. It helps fill the gaps in your diet from D3s to Omega-3s. Their no-nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach. And there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't get that fishy aftertaste that happens for hours after you take a lot of Omega-3s. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. Uh, Ritual is delivered directly to your door. A subscription is easy to start. It's easy to snooze. And it's only $1 a day to have all the essential essential nutrients that your body needs delivered every month with no strings attached. There's nothing weird or hidden or, you know, anything like that. It's just very transparent, wonderful, clean, beautiful, vibrant, healthy stuff. Uh, Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash dailybeans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash daily beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, here are the headlines that have you know, flown under the radar you might have missed. Uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul has blocked the anti-lynching bill in the Senate. Uh, he acknowledged Wednesday that he's the one holding up the bill. Uh, which has broad bipartisan support that would make lynching a federal hate crime. He says he fears it could allow enhanced penalties for altercations that result only in, quote unquote, minor bruising. He said, quote, we think that lynching is awful. It's an awful thing that should be roundly condemned. But uh, the bill might conflate lesser crimes with lynching, which would be a disservice to those who have actually been lynched in our history. We don't think that's appropriate. And some of us had to read, you know, some of us has, someone has to read these bills to make sure they do what they say and they're going to do and do what they're going to do rather than just being a PR effort. And then everybody, then everybody gets up in arms and wants to beat up anybody who wants to read the bill and make the bill strong. I, what the fuck he's saying, I have no fucking idea, but he wants to amend the bill to include a serious bodily injury standard that would ensure that only crimes resulting in quote, substantial risk of death and extreme physical pain can be prosecuted as lynching. And staffers at the New York Times are expressing dismay. Uh, They're revolting uh, Wednesday over the publication's decision to publish an op-ed written by Republican Tom Cotton that called for the military to be deployed against citizens uh, in cities across the United States to restore order. According to CNN, a litany of Times journalists tweeted a screenshot showing the headline, Send in the Troops, with the caption that they wrote, This puts black New York Times staff in danger. Then... Uh, The op-ed page editor, James Bennett, posted a thread on Twitter last night explaining his decision to run the op-ed. He cited a number of previous pieces in which the editorial board and their opinion writers defended the protests and crusaded for years against the underlying systematic cruelties that led to these protests. He said, quote, Time's opinion owes it to our readers to show them counter-arguments, particularly those made by people in a position to set policy, unquote. But Cotton's op-ed included an argument that Antifa was infiltrating marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. And that is a lie that was debunked 
and the New York Times printed it. That, in fact, that lie was debunked by the New York Times. That is not an opinion. It is a lie. And let's be clear. If you have to defend your publication of a shit opinion, then maybe don't publish it. There's a difference between getting the other side of an argument and publishing absolute trash can lies. I always, always in these situations think, think of what Patton Oswalt says about this. Let's listen. Nobody would go, hey, we have to respect his beliefs. You know, you gotta, you've got to respect everybody's beliefs. No, you don't. That's what gets us in trouble. You have to, look, you have to acknowledge everyone's beliefs. And then you have to reserve the right to go, that is fucking stupid. Are you kidding me? I acknowledge you believe that. That's great. But I'm not going to respect it. And speaking of journalists from Reuters today, the United States has been added to the list of the most dangerous countries for journalists in the world for the first time. At least 63 professional journalists were killed doing their jobs in 2018 in the United States. That's a 15% increase over the last year, 1-5%, according to uh, a free press advocacy group called Reporters Without Borders. That number goes up to 80, from 63 to 80, when all media workers and citizen journalists are included. The world's five deadliest countries for journalists are now Afghanistan, Syria, Mexico, India, and the United States. And uh, super bendy wisp of a man, Rod Rosenstein, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, yesterday as the United States faces three crises from Benjamin Wittes at Lawfare. Those three crises right now are a pandemic of a type not seen since 1918, an economic catastrophe of the type not seen since 1929, and an eruption of protests and police violence of a type not seen since 1968. And he goes on to say, So logically enough, on June 3rd, the Senate Judiciary Committee convened to discuss the pressing, pressing issue of the day, the origins of the Russia investigation. The oranges. Uh, also, the text messages between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And, of course, the Steele dossier. The pressing issue of the day. These hearings are only to offer the chance to indulge in just a few more dramatic readings of text messages and a few more opportunities to make the debunked assertion that only political motivations and machinations can explain the errors in the Carter Page Warren application, which Rod Rosenstein signed off on, by the way. On the one side of the Rod Rosenstein hearing, we have Republicans providing questioning designed to support their bullshit conspiracy theory. And on the other side, we have Democrats questioning, uh, which, which mostly designed to protect the Mueller findings from whatever dust Republicans in the DOJ and William Barr have kicked up. And between the two sides... Uh, was Rosenstein, uh, ever the survivor, as Comey once called him, triangulating, bobbing, and weaving between insinuations and hostile questions. I love the way Benjamin Wittes writes. If you get a chance to read this in Lawfare blog, you should definitely do it. He continues, uh, Rosenstein is nobody's hero in this story, except perhaps his own. <laughs> there is something impressive about it. He refused to be pinned down about anything. Was he responsible for signing a FISA application with many errors in it? He was accountable, he said, but not for the errors. Does he stand by the prosecution that Mueller brought? He does, but he doesn't think the investigation was a hoax or a witch hunt. But he does understand the president's frustrations and doesn't want to nitpick over how Trump chooses to express himself. He thinks there was no evidence that uh, any of the investigative subjects were working with the Russians in 2017. But he also stands by his decision to appoint Robert Mueller as special counsel. And then Benjamin Wittes goes on to say, and then he stumbled rather badly. 
when Senator Mazie Hirono asked him about the New York Times September 2018 story, reporting, quote, the deputy attorney general Rod Rosenstein suggested last year that he secretly record that he secretly record the president. Uh, President Trump in the White House to expose the chaos consuming the administration, and he discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office for being unfit, unquote. So Maisie Hironis asked Rod Rosenstein, did you suggest or hint at secretly recording Trump? Yes or no? Rosenstein responded, I did not secretly hint at recording President Trump. Okay. So maybe that's not a lie. Maybe he openly hinted at recording President Trump. Or maybe he didn't hint, he said it outright. So that could, you know, if he was facing a perjury charge. Hirono followed up. Have you ever discussed the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment to remove the president from office? Rosenstein, I have never in any way suggested that the president should be removed from office under the 25th Amendment, and I can give you a more detailed explanation if you have time. But as we know, Andy McCabe has a different read on what Rosenstein says. Um, we, we went over this in his book, The Threat. McCabe said, I never uh, get searched. McCabe said, Rosenstein said, quote, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I could easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Rosenstein said he was not joking about wearing a wire. He was absolutely serious. And McCabe said of the 25th Amendment, he was discussing other cabinet, uh, other cabinet members and whether or not people would support an idea. Notably, while McCabe told Pelly that he could, Kelly that he could not recall whether Rosenstein assigned specific votes to specific people, the Times describes Rosenstein as telling McCabe that he might be able to persuade Attorney General Jeff Sessions and then Secretary of Homeland Security John Kelly to turn against the president. And after Rosenstein's testimony, Wittes emailed McCabe, the guy who wrote this article in Lawfare, emailed Andy McCabe, and McCabe responded, saying, Mr. Rosenstein and I had several meetings from May 12th, 2017 through May 16th, 2017, to discuss steps the FBI should take in the wake of the firing of the FBI director. In several of those conversations, he discussed invoking the 25th Amendment and the possibility of him wearing a wire to record his conversations with the president. Other DOJ and FBI personnel were present for the statements on both subjects. Uh, what's more here is that McCabe wrote contemporaneous notes about these discussions, and Jim Baker also testified to this under oath that McCabe and Lisa Page had told him about these conversations when they happened. And the Rod Rosenstein hearing was only step one in this lunacy. Lindsey Graham is gearing up to issue 53 subpoenas to former Obama officials, including Comey, uh, Lynch, and James Clapper, to name a few. Senate Democrats are uh, pretty pissed over what they say is Republicans using the Senate to get Trump reelected. Kamala Harris said there are literally matters of life and death waiting for our committee's attention, but instead this committee is doing the president's personal bidding. Graham was then quick to announce they would also hold a hearing on police use of force. I personally do not think Americans have a taste for investigating the investigations at this point in time. I think this will backfire profoundly on Lindsey Graham, especially given that Trump is crumbling right now. Everybody is abandoning ship. Even Mitch McConnell isn't commenting. Usually he's got something to say. Esper is going, the, the majority whip tune. Everyone is like, nah, brah, this is a uh, bridge too far. That, interesting, that's their line in the sand, right? Nothing else ahead, uh, you know, but I mean, I guess at least they drew one. And The Lancet, the medical journal, is retracting its published study on hydroxychloroquine, uh, saying that it was unsafe. They aren't saying that it's safe, mind you. What happened is the original data set used to write the study was incomplete. 
not incorrect, just incomplete. Uh, anybody who's written a doctoral dissertation knows when you have an incomplete data set, you can't draw a conclusion. You may not. Um, I spent two years on my dissertation uh, studying the impact of a, the effectiveness of a program to help stop veterans from missing their appointments from no calling and no showing. Uh, and one of my hundreds of data sets was corrupt. Uh, and so I, after all of the work, and it seemed pretty clear what the answer was, like obviously beyond, like beyond a reasonable doubt, I could say that the program was ineffective, uh, but I was not allowed to do so because one of my data sets was um, tainted. And so the whole thing, I just say, I was unable to draw a conclusion. My conclusion, unable to draw a conclusion. That's how most dissertations end. You have added to the body of work. Somebody else can pick up where you left off, use your data that wasn't corrupt, et cetera, and go forward. This data set, one of their data sets, is incomplete. So the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, both of which use the same data set, had to withdraw, um, retract their studies. There are still studies out there showing hydroxychloroquine is ineffective. There are no studies showing that it works, thus far at least. That's what science does, keep looking. But these two studies that both relied on an incomplete data set have been retracted. So we will be right back with uh, former FBI special agent, my wine and fries buddy, Asha Rangappa. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. This Helping to Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry DNA. There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with the Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. At Ancestry DNA, uh, they'll tell you that test that you take tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees online let you discover their personal stories. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Um, Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you like which countries you hail from, but they can pinpoint specific regions within them. Uh, which give you insightful geographic detail about your family history. You can trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. No other DNA test delivers such a unique and interactive experience. Um, I found a famous relative. Uh, I found out I'm, I'm uh, related to a, a band leader, comedy banjo band leader from New York in the 1920s called Harry Reeser. Uh, so apparently comedy and music is in my blood. But the story of your family is the story of you. And so I, I just really think it's an incredible interactive experience. Grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, today for the interview, I'm joined by former FBI special agent, lawyer and CNN analyst Asha Rangappa. Asha, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm hanging in there. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today um, to discuss some of the content you've been putting out on Twitter, because I think it's very, very important that we pay attention to these things. And first of all, um, the language that Trump is using over and over I think daily, sometimes I think multiple times a day. I don't know. I don't follow him that closely. But he just tweets the words law and order. Yep. Gung, gung. And you pointed out that he never tweets rule of law. And I was wondering and hoping that you could explain the difference. Yes. Um, and I think that it's important because 
a lot of people have made fun of the law and order and it is funny and you can tweet back, you know, some other TV show, but there is meaning and purpose there uh, with that particular phrase. Um, when we talk about the rule of law and you often hear, you know, lawyers um, talking, using that word, um, what it means is that we are all accountable to a higher bar um, that is set by the law. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you are, um, whether you're, you know, a looter, whether whether you're the police, whether you're the president, whether, you know, you're a random guy on the street. Um, we are all accountable to the law. And if if any of us cross it, um, then, you know, we face the consequences and it's applied equally. Law and order says something different. Law and order implies a hierarchy. It suggests that there are people who are disorderly, and then there are people who need to establish the law in order, um, those people who have the power and the authority to do it. And this is the message that we've not only gotten from the tweets that Trump has put out, but the both you know the actions taken by Attorney General Bill Barr, the military presence on the street. Um, this is you know, it, it's an us-them dichotomy, and more specifically, it's a higher, it's a power hierarchy where one is on top of the other. One has to dominate the other, to, to use another phrase that's that's we've heard in the last week. Um, the hierarchy is really important because then it's like, well, who gets to be on top and who's on the bottom? Hmm. Yeah, I don't right. know. Let me take a let me take a guess. And this is where you know his other phrase, "Make America Great Again," comes in. This is an appeal to a mythic past where things were great. Um, there was, you know, order and, and uh, you know, this, this hierarchy where everybody stayed in their place. And let's think about that. When was that? Right. And we can think about a lot of, um, you know, the groups that they have had pushback on immigrants, women, um, African-Americans, all of that, you know, social mobility, social justice, uh, threatens that old great hierarchy, which is intended to be, you know, restored. So these are dog whistles. They they aren't just, you know, kind of, you know, random blurt outs. Um, they are intended to actually condition his audience to sort of think in these hierarchical terms of actually visualizing particular people as being disorderly, as being, um, as trying to get uppity and out of their place and what and essentially justify putting them back in their place. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we you and I have had discussions about language before um, specifically standing out in my mind <clears throat> is reflexive control. And I, I, now that, be, you know, after you had explained that to us and what it was and, uh, you know, I'm always sort of on the lookout for those kinds of uh, language things. And, you know, I mean, he repeats something two, three, four times, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's branding, marketing, propaganda, and probably a lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think, you know, Trump isn't, he's not always the smartest bulb in the box, but when he's using language um, and his rhetoric, and it, it, it's often very shrewd, like he is doing it to a purpose. Now, I don't know if he's being coached or, or something, um, but I, I don't think it's random, and I think it's wrong to, you know, dismiss it. 
um, because it ends up, especially because he has the megaphone that he does, um, it does condition his audience and it starts to allow for um, a particular narrative that yeah. then his followers, you know, kind of obediently latch on to. Yeah. And that, that those kinds of things are what specifically made me wonder what Trump spoke to Putin about from the underground bunker in the White House um, while D.C. was you know, he was, he was, he was, I'm sorry, he was inspecting the bunker. That's why he was down there. Um, and uh, so here, here he is calling Putin. We learn about it from Russian state media. Again, I think this is the 16th or 20th call and meeting he's had with Putin that we don't learn about from our own media. But in the middle of what was happening with the protests uh, in, in DC, he's down in the bunker, the lights turn off. Uh, he has to come up with some excuses why he's down there. He calls Putin and we're supposed to believe they talked about oil markets, you know. Um, I, I'm, I, do, I don't think we'll ever be able to know what those, you know, what those conversations entailed. But it's, it's just all very disconcerting. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that Putin is basically, you know, he's a KGB officer. If I were him, I would be stepping in as kind of a surrogate father figure for Trump, Vladdy you know, Vladdy daddy, basically. Right. So he's do he, you know, I would step in to do the things that his dad used to do, bail him out financially. But also then you have this like dynamic where, you know, Trump is desperate to impress Putin um, and also appease him. I think there, you know, people are like, he's, he's deferential and he is, I think it's as much of being afraid of him for whatever potential compromise he has, but also I think he wants to please him. Like he, he really wants to impress this person who he holds in great esteem. I think he's got like some weird object relation with his daddy. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Uh Um, But, you know, in, in that sense, you know, you can imagine that if, if these protests come up, you know, what does Putin say? Like Putin has, you know, he, what does he do? Like, you know, um, you have to take control or, you know, show your dominance. I mean, these are the, the tactics that he has taken and especially that he took, basically right after that call. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I mean, that's the thing, it's the timing. It's like, this is, you know, it's very strange. Like, he goes and hides in the bunker, the next day comes out and calls in the military. Like, it's bizarre. Um, and it just so happens that that's what, you know, Putin does. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I, I have to be, I have to completely agree with you that at this point, I don't even know if there are people on the call. But when Trump is out of office, I really hope they reveal the readouts of those calls because i think the american public has to know what is happening um in those conversations because it's incredibly it's becoming like it's dangerous like we are now at the brink of a constitutional crisis yeah i mean those calls came from the white house they can't be there there's got to be a record of them somewhere um whether it's handwritten readout notes from the national security council that they shoved into that nice system or whatever i feel like there can't not be records of it but you know i mean i guess we'll see i mean what if he's making like a booty call on his cell phone yeah yeah exactly um wouldn't uh, that be intercepted i mean do we know that like i don't know i i'm i'm i've never worked in the white house i don't know if that's a possibility but <laughs> I'm just incredibly concerned that like there are calls where nobody else has any idea what's going on. Yeah, that is very concerning. I also wanted to ask you about this hodgepodge of unmarked officers uh, guarding the Capitol um, from the park police to the Bureau of Prisons. Why are they unmarked? Why aren't they identifying themselves? Why aren't they, I don't know, out and proud that they're the Bureau of Prisons or that they're 
the DEA or that they're the park police. It just seems odd. Like, uh, like I'm former military. I'm I'm contacting all my folks in the Department of Defense and my veterans and and my friends and stuff and being like, what is this uniform? And they're like, oh, it looks like Eric Prince shit to me. I don't know, man. So what it, what's what's going on with that? Yeah, there's there's really no legitimate explanation, right? And you've been in the military, so you understand. Like the laws of war, for example, require that, you know, when you're engaged in combat, like people have to be wearing, you know, you're you're only allowed to target people in uniform. You're wearing insignia. Like you have to identify yourself, right? And this is kind of the 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 rules of engagement. This is how these are the fair gate the, the fair way that you engage um, in these kinds of relationships. And in the law enforcement context, it's the same thing. Now, it's not warfare, but people who, who are acting under color of law and who have the power of state force behind them have to communicate who they are and under what authority they are working under, because that is what creates the obligation on the part of the public to have to comply with them. Mm. Otherwise, it's like, who... I'm sorry, but who the F are you? Yeah. Like I, you're just some rando in like fatigues and a gun. Like, sorry, stand in line. This and this is also the counterpart of if your argument is that people should just be able to, you know, carry guns and, you know, AR, you know, fifteens willy nilly, then that creates the higher especially higher burden on actual law enforcement to have to very clearly identify who they are. Because yeah. otherwise the public doesn't know the difference. Yeah, if some shooting breaks out, how do you know who's who? I mean, it's impossible. And, like, who are they to tell you what to do? Like, if, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, what they could be a mall security guard for all you know. In which case, like, go back to you, you the mall, okay? Um, <laughs> and, and it's really, you know, it's as much for the protection of the law enforcement officers because yeah, exactly. then if there is you know, a conflict where they they have to use force or deadly force. You know, when I was in training in the FBI, this was a part of why, like, you, you know, giving commands was part of our training and having to give clear commands where the first thing you do is identify who you are. Yeah. You know, FBI, 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 police, you know, get down, get down, like, you because otherwise it's like, who are like, well, you're just yelling at people to get down on the ground. Like, who are you? Um, and so to get to your question, why that th there's no legitimate explanation for all the reasons that I just told you. So the only thing I can come up with is that they are there to intimidate. In other words, they are not there to keep the peace. Mm -mm. They are there to actually intimidate and show, you know, the, authority and for and the force behind it which kind of gets back to the law and order hierarchy kind of paradigm yeah unfortunately we have uh fortunately we have people like millie and mattis and now even esper and then the majority whip thune saying hey we're not for this military shit you know um knock it off and um uh, finally i spoke with frank fugluzzi yesterday i believe about bill barr activating the dea the, the DEA to spy on protesters um, and, you know, Trump trying to call Antifa a terrorist organization. I hereby dub thee. I claim this land for Spain. You're a terrorist organization. <laughs> um, and I'm really, really concerned about this. This seems like an attack on the citizenry. Honestly, what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, you know, with the 
the terrorist designation, I mean, I think as probably Frank already went through, we don't really make those designations for domestic groups. Um, the FBI, so when you have a foreign terrorist organization, you actually get like special legal tools, right? Like you can, you can uh, engage in electronic surveillance. You can, you know, follow their money trails or whatever. Um, for domestic groups, they are protected by the First Amendment unless and until they cross the line into criminal activity. Now, if there is some kind of organizational conspiracy that is driving kind of a group complicit behavior, uh, that group, you know, criminal behavior, you can investigate that. But the criminal act comes first before you try to see if there's any kind of organizing ideology. You can't just investigate people for believing in anti-fascism or, you know, any more than you could – you, you frankly can't really – you can't investigate them for just being white supremacists, mm-hmm. right? Like the KKK actually has a right to organize under the First Amendment. They have to be engaging in criminal activity. Um, so, you know, I think to your point about the military, we have had the military speak out, and that's because, again, they're very specific kind of both within the United States and, you know, in, like norms about how, you know, civilian – led military should operate in countries that I think help with making those statements. Um, And of course, we have a history, our own history in this country is very much against having a standing army, right? That's what King George III did. Um, I think that basically Barr is making a workaround, and he's kind of cobbling together his own little private shadow army using, you know, various federal police forces. Um, And I think that he's trying to use the DEA as an investigative body, probably because the FBI is very rigid about its, you know, protocol. Like they have to follow attorney general guidelines and how they open investigations. They can't, they have to make clear, like they cannot open them based on, you know, solely first amendment activity. They can't engage in the surveillance just for whatever reason. I don't think the DEA can either, but because they are, usually focused in other contexts, he can probably, like, he's trying to fudge them, I think, into doing stuff that maybe the FBI can't or won't do. That's my feeling. Yeah, probably won't. And I imagine he's, you know, cooking up some cute little Office of Legal Counsel memos that says he's allowed to do that. That's kind of, that's sort of his jam. Um, And finally, uh, here, do you think, uh, you know, Richard Burr is out as Senate Intel Chair because of insider trading? Or, you know, alleged insider trading. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you think Marco Rubio is actually going to release this counterintelligence report, this thousand page counterintelligence report on the Russia investigation that that Burr was getting ready to to kick out? Um, I don't know. I, I have to say I was a little bit surprised uh, last late last week. I mean, Mark, Marco Rubio is such a tool, right? But. You know, he um, he seemed to be breaking with Trump, though. He seemed there was one day where he was like, we have, you know, intelligence that there are at least three foreign actors that are, you know, trying to exploit, you know, these protests, which was very shocking to hear because he's been kind of a, you know, and and to make clear to anyone listening, that doesn't mean that foreign actors are creating the problems here. They, you know, we have a racial justice problem, but foreign actors will exploit the emotions around that to kind of puppeteer people to their own ends and to create more violence and and chaos. Um, But, you know, to hear him acknowledge that this can be an opportunity for foreign adversaries 
was surprising to me and suggests to me that he his maybe his eyes are being opened in this new role where he's seeing things that he didn't fully comprehend before. Mm. Um, and I don't know if there's also I wonder if Burr uh, and it's Warner, right, who is the ranking chair, um, if they have some other already redacted public report maybe ready to go. I, so I don't know what the internal dynamics are of what Mar- like what is already in motion and what Marco Rubio could stop um, if he were not inclined to release it himself, which he, se- he seems to have become a little bit more aware. Yeah, it's like, uh, I wonder if he gets in there, gets in the skiff, gets read in and is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> And then, and then he just like he grabs onto his Bible, he clutches it, and he's like, "Oh, starts shaking." Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Hopefully, he's got the backbone to do it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, it's that that report's due out any day now, so hopefully, hopefully, we'll get it. But uh, anyway, it does seem to me uh, more so. And I, I know everyone says like about once every six months we go. It seems like it's falling apart. Trump's falling apart. It's I don't know. There, there's been a lot of. Uh, abandoning ship lately it feels like his circle of allies is getting smaller and um uh you know unfortunately we've got an election coming up not unfortunately we have an election coming up but he he stretched it out over almost four years (laughs) yeah i mean you know we have to remember like i remember during um the Mueller investigation and even during impeachment you know people who had lived through watergate reminding the you know viewers on tv and stuff that you know, that was a two year process um, yeah. and that there came a tipping like, in other words, there was a lot of resistance in the Republican Party to turn against Nixon. And then like there was a tipping point when um, I think it was the Supreme Court case that ruled about the tapes. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then within days, it just kind of came tumbling down. And so, you know, I wonder I, I mean, I there seems to be. So this is what I'll say. I feel like there is a shift Um, and I can't tell whether that shift is really more related to the racial justice issue Mm. where there's kind of been a paradigm change, you know, where you have people speaking about it in ways where, you know, they're basically more woke um, and you would not have expected them to be. But somehow that's also coinciding with a certain shift with regard to Trump, as you've said, with these, you know, military people speaking out with the Senate kind of now being more. I'm just wondering if all of this will coalesce into some big tipping point And maybe, especially if it looks like he is going to lose, mm-hmm. he'll resign because I don't think he can handle losing. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering if there is worth at somewhere in there, maybe Letitia James from New York or like. Somebody sitting down and cutting a deal with this dude that because I would be happy for him to walk if he'll just get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People disagree with me on that. I think that's reasonable. People can disagree, but I don't need to see him in an orange jumpsuit if he'll just step down and we never hear or, you know, at least he's not in power anymore. I, I'd like to see him in prison, but, you know, it's going to go the way it's going to go. Um, and, you know, I mean, what people have said, you know, he could resign. Pence could pardon him. But then, you know, I've talked to. Glenn Kirshner, for example, who has said, hey, if, if he if he co-conspired on any criminal activity with with Pence, that pardon is bupkis. But I mean, we'll get there when we get there. Um, but, I, you know, I think that this movement, this protest movement that this, you know, that it's, we're finally seem like we're 
coalescing, like you said, all 50 states. We just have this incredible outpouring of... of uh, and internationally. Uh, yeah, globally. It's global. And every all 50 states. All 50 states never do shit together. So it's... it's but I think that that is tied into what is, is, you know, Trump's decisions to send the military out against citizens to spy on them. Because because his his whole policy and his whole reelection, his, his law and order, this that's all steeped in racism. And so I, I really think that they I do think at least I have hope that those things will coalesce and there will just be this wave, especially of young people. It'll just drown. Him. Well, and I think what you just said is super important that. The idea of solidarity and particularly um, a feeling of connection across groups that previously didn't have them, whether it's racial, whether it's geographical or whatever, is a an existential threat to Trump's modus operandi of governance, because that is that kind of you know connection, which social scientists would call generalized social trust, um, make it, it makes it harder to create tribal divisions, which is what it, which is the only way that he keeps he stays in power by having a boogeyman, by you know pitting people against each other. This is exactly what Mattis said. So these protests, it's not just about you know people protesting him it's the fact that they are fine they are about unifying people around common values um and that is incredibly threatening to him as it is for most authoritarians yeah yeah that's such a good point and i'm glad that uh, you brought it up um all right so uh tell everybody where they can find you uh you can find me pretty much on twitter i'm at asharangapa underscore um and i also have a website www.asharangapa.com, which gets updated with uh, recent op-eds and things that I've written or clips if I've been on TV. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Former FBI special agent, lawyer, CNN analyst. So many credits. Thank you for joining us, Asha Rangapa. Thanks so much. It was great to be on. Bye. All right, everybody. Stay with us. We will be right back with the Good News Block. Stick around. Hey, friends, it's AG. This tasty helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by my new favorite thing, best thing on the planet ever, Magic Spoon Cereal. Uh, Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But as an adult, I had to give it up because the cereal I loved was full of sugar and chemicals. But I am so excited now. Uh, I found Magic Spoon, a cereal that tastes so delicious but without the sugar, carbs, or guilt. Uh, Magic Spoon brings me right back to the feeling of plopping my butt down in front of the TV and watching Saturday morning cartoons, eating my cereal, finishing my cereal, then drinking my cereal milk. It is so good, you will not believe it's actually super healthy. I cannot stop telling people about it. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, probably not as much for me as it is for people who know me. But as Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes as good and offers so much nutritional value, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. Magic Spoon cereals have, amazingly, zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only 3 net grams of carbs in each serving. With four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry... Magic Spoon tastes amazing, honestly too good to be true, because first of all, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Holy majoli. My favorite right now is blueberry. That could change any minute. 
but it's so delicious I find myself eating it dry. It's a healthy, guilt-free snack. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and grab a variety pack and try it today. You have to. And be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping too. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. So free shipping, 100% happiness guarantee. This is zero risk for the best cereal in the world. Uh, that's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. Use the code dailybeans for free shipping. All right, everybody, it's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, welcome back to the good news block. You've been you've been away. It's been Amanda for the last couple of days. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy, for always compiling those, by the way. Mm-hmm. And for for doing it. I'm happy to be back. I love the good news segment. Uh, I don't have any good news, um, so uh, tell us what you have. All right, yes. Uh, Just a reminder, if you want to submit good news to us, you can go to our at Daily Beans Pod Twitter page, look at our pinned tweet, and that will give you instructions on where to go to submit yours to us. So please keep sending them in. They are the best. Our first one is coming from Kristen Simpson. Kristen says, hello, thanks for delving into the depths of this murky administration. My good news is that I have invented a way for my elderly mother and her friends to play quarantine bridge. As with so many older people, she has not seen anyone for months now. Her weekly bridge games are a thing of the past, and none of her friends who are all in their 80s or 90s feel confident enough to venture out or get together. For a while, I tried to think of a way that they could play online, uh, play it with an online bridge app, but none of them have the technical ability or the equipment, and much of the fun of bridge is the social interaction. So I invented an analog quarantine bridge. We set up a table outside or in the garage with the door open. We made a big cross of plexiglass that goes diagonally across the bridge table that is three feet high and extends over the ends of the table so each player has their own cubicle. Each player has their own deck of cards in their cubicle that no one else touches and never leaves their bit of the cubicle. I have made a method of dealing the cards so that each person gets the cards that they were supposed to that they are supposed to get by a grid on the back of each card. It will also work for playing bridge on Zoom if people can't physically get together. I have tried to make it super safe so that they feel good about coming out and socializing. My mom is so excited to be able to see her friends again. And her friends are venturing out for the first time in three months this Saturday to be in the same room together. I am happy to share more details if others want to do the same. And then um, Kristen dropped her email. And I don't know if I should read that on air. It was included in the quarantine confession. Mm, maybe just to be safe, we don't. How about, yeah, how about you just hit hit us up if you want it. And then there we go. Um, but what a great idea. That's so fantastic. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, next up. From Alexis Devato, I am listening to Jordan's Hot Notes and I have to respectfully disagree that police have no place in K-12 schools. In my community, the school resource officers run youth programs that inspire the students to get involved in the community. They are not there to police the students. Each resource officer is assigned more than one school and they rotate visits. The students like them, and they even participate in school assemblies, etc. I had to share this as good news. Police doing good. And then there is a ah. link to Howard Howard County uh, MD, is that Maryland? .gov slash department slash police slash youth dash programs if you want to check it out. I really appreciate the people who have contact me, contacted me after my corn bean segment 
uh, yesterday talking about that. I have to respectfully disagree with you back. I don't think those people need to be outfitted with the same abilities as police have because that's what leads to the criminalization of youth. But I'm really glad that the people that are there and do exist there are doing that and that's amazing and that is good news and I I obviously don't disagree with that. So thank you for sending that in. I'm okay with a I'm okay with a community outreach type of a situation. Um personally, uh I think there needs to be better communication between communities and police, but I don't know if kids I I don't know where else to like where how else would you do that? I I don't know um but yeah, I don't I'd have to th- I'd really have to think about it. Um yeah. I definitely don't think they should be there in any kind of a policing capacity, which I think we all can agree on. Right. I mean, I think we can all agree on it. Yeah, I I would I would hope so. But but I think I guess the difference between probably the disagreements is more so just like a communication breakdown between what folks are supposed to be doing what and, and what sort of like powers they exactly have when they're on campus Unless they're going, because like when a dare officer, for example, you know, comes onto campus, they're there doing community outreach and that's it. They're there, at least as far as I'm concerned, I haven't heard of instances. Granted, I went to a privileged school district for sure, so I'm actually going to take that back. I don't know if that's something that dare officers can can move on if they're on campus or something. If if something happens and they choose to escalate a situation and turn it into an actual issue with the law now that a student is facing but um but yeah if you have more information please please send it to me if there's a specific delineation between the you know rights for lack of a better word that police have when they're on campus versus these CSOs and RSOs I know I had those two in high school and I can say that they were they were also really nice to me, and I saw them do a lot of really great things too, but I also saw them be a part of shitty things, and I saw them be a part of kids getting arrested, and that's the stuff that does not need to be on campus. So if you have more information about that... I agree with that. I, what I was thinking is if like a cop comes in to talk to a class about what policing is and who the cops are and what we do in the neighborhood and how we should work together and, uh, you know, building bridges and meeting. And then, then you go home, you know, then you leave. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You don't like stand around campus and catch the ditchers. We had a couple of RSOs, you know, who, uh, who would do that, but like, and yeah, they would treat kids differently based on the color of their skin. Absolutely. That Mm -hmm. yes. No, get rid of them. Um, yeah, I'm, I was just thinking of like, we're going to learn how to drive safely today or I don't know, just totally friendly police officers coming in to talk about and maybe even discussing these types of issues, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. That's necessary. That I'm, all for. I'm all for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, the biggest issue um, outside of murdering black people is that there is a complete breakdown in trust between civilians and police. So if there are programs like something that you just laid out that can and are already being done in some schools, then I would agree that that's that's stuff that really needs to be funded and done really responsibly and cannot turn into a situation where those same people are the ones that will turn around and arrest another kid or be a part of an arrest for another kid. 
Yeah, and I can only speak from my experiences with those kind of things. If it's and who you know, so I only have from you know from my basic experience. If if there's a different feeling about it from people that this impacts in a different way, I, you know, then I mean, I you know, I just want to be clear. This is just what I. This is just from my personal experience, which is a lot different from the experience right. of other people. And and I would I would default to that and defer to that to to mm-hmm. to the mo- to the most vulnerable among us that that could be impacted negatively by that and and probably and usually and definitely are and in, in a lot of instances you know what I'm saying definitely absolutely I mean yeah. it's also really complicated because another public health crisis that we have is mass shootings yeah especially on school campuses so at the same time where there's a really important call to to mitigate that presence there's simultaneously a call to increase that presence but that uh, this is obviously an entirely too big conversation to have in the good news segment (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely Um, but thank you thank you for being for respectfully disagreeing with me and and keeping my conceptions of things in check and allowing me to uh, maintain part of the position that I have and and I would love yeah I would I would love more nuanced information or or like arguments about why it is that we need to have officers on campus that are participating in the arrests or facilitation of the arrests of under 18 year olds when we could have another program that replaces that yep policing the students i think is not the way yeah i agree but i did also get another note from a teacher that basically said the exact same thing so alexis you are not alone by any means, um, unless this is the same person. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's all it's all a POV, right? I mean, there's a lot of teachers who feel uh, unsafe because of the mass shootings that occur. And, and so, you know, we just all have to sort of listen to everybody's perspective and have open discussions about it, right? I think that's the most important thing we can do. Definitely. I, that's exactly what you're hinting at. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Um, Okay, our next good news is from Anonymous. Anonymous says, good news, I think. Very proud of my son, who worked closely with Minnesota AG Ellison as his deputy to research and calculate appropriate superseding charges in the police murder case. Wow. Holy shit. That, these are my words. That's crazy. Our, our listener did that? Very proud of my son, who worked closely with Minnesota AG Ellison as his deputy Uh to research and calculate appropriate superseding charges. Yeah, in the in the police murder case, he uh, he will supervise the prosecution, and attempt to be a part of the solution in these troubled times. I am, however, somewhat worried for his safety and that all of the prosecutors, as there have been death threats, I presume from far right groups. Please keep the entire team in your thoughts and hearts. I love your show. Uh, you ladies have become my first and favorite morning news source. Keep up your good and important work. My God! Wow! Wow! That is a heavy place for a parent to be in Mm. damn that's really intense it is it is oh my gosh i hope your son is doing is doing okay and and that's so scary to know that there's threats being thrown around i don't doubt it for a second Mm. not for a fucking second Mm -mm. yeah please um everybody yeah send your good vibes Mm -hmm. i'm sorry that sounds so dumb but (laughs) send just do what you can or any support any way that you know how to support send it to minnesota right now yeah 
Next up from Anonymous, Anonymous says, Good day, team. I hope this comes across as good news. Unfortunately, it isn't flippant or funny, but I hope you feel a hand on your shoulder when you read this and understand the love and support I offer. I'm Australian, and we have been the recipients of incredible backhanded luck. I say backhanded because the pandemic dropped on the back end of the worst fire season our nation has ever endured, and I am firm in the belief that our self-discipline, calmness, and cohesiveness in response to the pandemic is a direct result of having had to pull together against those brush fires. Uh, oh, sorry, bush fires. I, wait, brush fires? Both? It says bush fires. Well, what did they put? Yeah, it bush says fires. bush fires, but I've also heard brush fires, right? Am I crazy? Well, the, the, the outback territory is called the bush. Got it. Thank yeah. you. Bushfires. Brushfires in the bush. Yeah. I was trying to impose my fucking American ass shit. What a what a USA <laughs> thing to do. As Come on, Australia. Result, you don't rake your forests? Come on. <laughs> yeah. As a result, as I write, we have less than 500 cases nationwide, a comparatively low fatality rate, and are now starting to cautiously reopen. To tell you a bit about me, I am a 20-year veteran of the Australian Defense Force, and through multiple deployments, four to Afghanistan and one to Iraq, I have fought alongside, under the command of, and embedded with U.S. troops. I have even had the privilege of spending a month down the road from you guys, embedded with the USMC at Camp Pendleton on an exchange, although hanging out in the gas lamp quarter of San Diego is my fondest memory of that trip. I feel like it always is for the Camp Pendleton people. It's always yeah. a good time. <laughs> totally. Fondest memory. I'm I'm impressed that you have a memory of it. <laughs> right. Hanging out exactly. in the gas lamp quarter. Exactly. <laughs> I hold your country dear to my heart and admire your passion, your love of country, and your desire to see the world a better place. My professional background means I spread my net far and wide, regularly visiting news sources across the spectrum to ensure I hear all the viewpoints. I have used your podcast as a reliable data slash point in uh, understanding the chaos that you are currently experiencing because I trust your research, your diligence, and most importantly, your compassion. To recent events, the voice AG gave to her frustration, anger, and sadness regarding the state-sanctioned assault of of peaceful protesters at the D.C. church made me weep. I've walked those grounds myself, and I cannot resolve within myself the grievous injustice that is currently being pursued under the banner of law and order. AG, I'm certain you and I have never served together, but I hear in you what I have heard in many during my time serving alongside other U.S. troops frustration anger and sadness at the perversion of what your nation should represent please know for you and all your team that you are being heard worldwide and the ripples of what you have produced will echo i have no answers for what you currently face but offer the following a former ceo of mine a trusted and trusted friend once gave me this uniquely australian advice quote mate you can do the right thing or you can be a cunt (laughs) the choice is yours End quote. <laughs> it turns difficult decisions into a binary choice, but seems particularly appropriate for the world right now. Love you all and all you do. Stay strong, stay well, and stay vigilant. Oh my god. That was incredible. Thank you. There was laughter, there was tears. I I that was a roller coaster. Yeah, it really was. Thank you for everything. Thanks for your service. Is it anonymous? Yeah. Yeah, no. it's anonymous. I mean, that's that's something that like I don't think Americans think about and appreciate 
about, you know, we have such a big military industrial complex that is super, super American centric, you know, and I don't think it's very often that people, unless you're, you know, embedded in, in it, I don't think a lot of civilians understand how much our troops are fighting alongside troops from other countries. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, a lot of people don't. No. But don't thank you. That. And thank you for that laugh at the end. <laughs> Mate, you can do the right thing or you can be, yeah, a, cunt. be a cunt. The choice is yours. Oh, that's a shirt. That really is. I had a, oh. my principal in middle school used to always say at the end of his, of the morning announcements, you can make it a great day or not, the choice is yours. And that is like mm. seared into my brain. But I wish that he said this instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you can be a cunt, cunt or not. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that is a hell of a middle school you went to. Yeah, it was Vegas, so, you know. Mm, mm. Well, see, you know, you know how City. cunts go in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really taking yeah, this I mean, opportunity to liberally use this word. I read that book, The Way of the Cunt. It's very, it's, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was from Vegas. Yeah. Ah, all right. And finally, from Brian Smith, I wanted to share an example of, <laughs> I wanted to share an example of a police officer sharing his humanity and de-escalating the situation here in Houston, where there have been multiple days and nights of protests. An officer, who coincidentally is a cousin of my spouse, took a knee with a distraught protester and, in effect, de-escalated the whole situation. It was reported by a local news station. Here's a quote from our cousin, Houston Police Commander? CMDR? Yep. Is that what that is? Okay. Commander Paul Paul Folis or Folice. Follis? Goddamn. I'm not killing it with names today. F-O-L-L-I-S says, he was blaming all police for that, and I said, let me tell you, that's affected everyone that wears this uniform. I've worn this uniform for 34 years, and the things that happened in Minnesota changed the world for all of us. I assured him that I was not trying to put myself in his shoes. I would never really understand the way things happened the way he understands the way they happened. And from there, it got personal. We talked about families, kids. He told me to take care of my kids. I told to take care of his kids, and that was it. After reading so many negative accounts from around the nation and here in Houston, it uplifted my spirits to read this story and that a member of my family is contributing to the greater good. Here's a link to the story for reference. And it's a, it's a long link, but maybe um, maybe we can post it on Patreon or somewhere. Or, or maybe we can tweet it out or something on our Muller Shirt account or Daily Beans account. Yeah. We can have Amanda do that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that a lot. That's... The humanity has been... And has always been, you know, lost. Or at least lost enough to the point where this system does not work for a massive, massive, massive group of people. Agreed. So any instances of humanity being brought back into the narrative again, I personally appreciate. Same. So thank you. Yeah. I've been trying to share them wherever I find them, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's hard because... You know, there's also a, a counter to that, which is like the more the more radical members of of this movement are like, I don't really have patience to see that stuff right now. And so I guess if somebody reacts to you sharing a story like that, uh, yeah, you're all adults. I'm sure you've already worked through this on your own. But whatever your morals are, just understanding that people, especially black people, 
are coming from a much much different place and we will never understand where they're coming from but uh individually for me personally i do appreciate hearing stories like that was that our last one it was our last one yeah it was a good one thank you everyone for sending those in um keep sending them we need to keep doing the good news block um we need to find the helpers and we need to amplify the hope uh i think it's very important because the next five months are going to be very very hard um I don't see it. I don't see it getting easier unless Trump just realizes he's going to get his ass kicked and resigns. Um, But we'll see. Uh, But we need those good news stories. And thank you all for listening. Um, This is normally where we would do quarantine confessions, but it has its own show now. It comes out tomorrow. So just go wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe now. The trailer is up. Search for quarantine confessions. And uh, you'll get it. If you're a patron, it'll automatically be in your premium feed. No need to do anything. Um, So I'm excited about that. It's going to be great. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts, Jordan? Actually, yes, I do. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the people that are engaging in this conversation, you know, in like whatever way is authentic to you. It's important for people to talk about it. If you're feeling like, you know, it's weird to talk about it or or you don't want to say the the wrong thing or like you think you're going to upset us or whatever, I can personally say I statements. I don't give a shit. I think it's so important for us to all keep talking about this. So, yeah, if you ever want to talk through stuff. I know we have a lot of white listeners, so largely when I say this stuff, I'm talking to white people. Yeah, and and give people space to do the same, you know? Not you. Right. But, um, because you just said that. But um, give people space to do that. Uh, And... I think, I mean, every single one of our listeners that I've met is just absolutely 100% capable of listening. Yep. And I, uh, I think we just continue on that path. Just listen and learn. And, yes. And speak out and take constructive criticism and give space for it to happen. And we, you're right, Jordan, we just need to have these discussions. If we don't, we stay where we are. And staying where we are is not acceptable. Well said. All right, everybody. uh, Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.